listening to Hymns Illustrated, where hymns are explored, appreciated, and illustrated through stories, testimonies, and edifying conversation. I'm your host and fellow hymn fan, Kristen Eifeldano. Welcome to the third episode of the Hymns Illustrated podcast, and welcome to November. I just sent out the Hymn of the Month newsletter this morning, since today, the day that I am recording, is November 1st, and I'm pretty excited that now I can dive a little bit deeper into that hymn all month long through this podcast. So a little later in this episode, I'll share the rest of the story, which is a segment I introduced in the first episode, and we will learn just a little bit more about the hymn story introduced in the Hymn of the Month, or HOM, or H-O-M, as I affectionately like to call it. And then in future episodes this month, Lord willing, we'll be sure to include a segment that takes a more devotional look at certain stanzas to that hymn. Okay, so last week we began going through 10 reasons why hymns are so important to God's people, and that was part one. Today in part two, we will conclude with five more reasons And now that I'm saying this out loud, I will probably rename these episodes to five reasons why and then five more reasons why. I think that might help folks know what they're getting when they get ready to listen to, say, episode two, and they're wondering where the rest of the episodes went. What do you think? Am I overthinking? It happens. Okay, so now on to the five more reasons hymns are so important for God's people, and then we'll look at the hymn of the month and the rest of the story. Reason number one, hymns are theologically rich. Theology is, of course, the study of God and his relation to the world, and I'm reminded of the theologian Wayne Grudem, who, in his systematic theology book, included a hymn at the end of each chapter covering all the doctrines. For example, his chapter on God's providence concludes with, God moves in a mysterious way. His chapter on the person of Jesus concludes with Ferris, Lord Jesus. His chapter on the atonement concludes with when I survey the wondrous cross. I just love that, don't you? Theology in our hymns is definitely a subject matter for a future episode, or maybe a series of episodes. Reason number two, hymns connect us to church history. As Robert Morgan reminds us in Then Sings My Soul, Book 3, the history of the church is encoded in her hymns, and the story of Christianity is unfolded in its songs. If you know the hymns of the ages, you'll know the history of the church. Case in point, our HOM, Hymn of the Month, is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A pretty pivotal part of our church history is reflected in that hymn, and I will talk about that in just a moment in our rest of the story segment. And by the way, we are living church history right now. I usually cringe just a little bit when I hear someone say they love hymns, but only the old ones or similar lines like that, as if the older hymns are the best. Remember that our old hymns were once new hymns. The age of a hymn should not be our criteria for determining its value. Its actual text should be our primary criteria. 
Before we move on to reason number three, I do want to draw your attention to a fun way you can support the show, and that is by shopping at hymnsillustrated.com slash resources. There are affiliate links on that page that will direct you to christianbook.com and dayspring.com, which are both excellent resources for Christian books, Bibles, gifts, stocking stuffers, Christmas cards, and more. And they are both having some really good Christmas sales right now. I usually hate to think about Christmas before Thanksgiving even, but you know what? This year, I am doing that. And I feel good about that decision because I think I'm going to be able to enjoy the reason for the season a little bit better without Christmas shopping hanging over my head. Plus, you know, the whole supply chain shipping delay issue thing. All right, so back to the show. Reason number three, hymns are for everybody. And here's what I mean by that. First, they are for everyone to sing. Scripture is filled with examples of those singing to God as well as commands to sing a new song. There is no doubt that everyone should be singing in church on Sunday, if possible with their lips, but always in our hearts. I think that hymns are also for everyone to write. Now, depending on your skill level, you may or may not want to share your hymn writing with others, and depending on your skill level, others may or may not want to sing your hymn, but you can write hymns to the Lord as part of your personal praise to Him. While there have been a few highfalutin poets who are also hymn writers, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and William Cooper come to mind. How does Cooper make it into every episode? I wonder. Interesting. But (laughs) he's one of my favorites. But where was I? Oh, yes. There are lots of hymns that are very poetical and beautifully written. But the most well-received hymns are often the simplest ones. Jesus loves me. This is my father's world. Amazing grace. This is why I think this is wonderful. It means you don't have to be the best poet out there to share your testimony with the Christian world and to glorify God with your words. It also means that many of our hymns are easy enough and simple enough to teach our children. It also demonstrates how God's truth doesn't really need our fancy words to be understood. Now, just a side note, not all hymns are simple. Many are, but not all, and that is okay. We need all kinds. Perhaps uh, they were written a long time ago, and the language hasn't been updated to completely modern English. A case in point for that one is our hymn of the month, which is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Um, That can be taught to children, but with a lot of thought and care uh, because of the more archaic language and metaphors and the imagery there and the subject matter of fighting evil. All right, so reason number four, hymns are testimonies of God's faithfulness over time. Our God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and our hymnal reflects that reality. Our hymnal doesn't just reflect church history or just the personal spiritual experiences of others who have gone before. It shows us that God has been faithful through the ages. Just look at the dates scattered throughout our hymnals and compare what uh, these writers are saying. They're all saying the same thing because God is always the same. Uh, The Father's Love Begotten was written by Aurelius Clemens Prudentius in 348. Well, he lived from 348 to 410, and it covers a lot of ground, but As the title suggests, it emphasizes the love of God the Father, just like the newer hymn, How Deep 
the Father's love for us does. The love of God has been showered on his people age to age. His mercies fail not. And a good browsing session through our hymnals today prove that with all the testimonies that are included there. Okay, our last reason, uh, reason number five, hymns are necessary for worship if you want to be particular. It's the singing of hymns that are required in corporate worship. We should never forget Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, or Ephesians 5.19, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. According to one of my favorite websites, gotquestions.org, a biblical concept of worship involves praising God and giving Him glory with our lips and our lives, with our words and our deeds, with our physical bodies and our spiritual hearts. Worship that pleases God is authentic. Offered with clean hands and a pure heart. I can't even imagine truly God-glorifying worship that has no hint of singing, do you? And that thought is a perfect segue into our next and final segment, the rest of the story. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, which sparked the Protestant Reformation. These theses propounded two central beliefs that opposed the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. These beliefs were, number one, that the Bible is the believer's sole authority, and number two, that we must be saved by faith alone and not by our works. They also included several other beliefs, including Luther's conviction that singing should be congregational. Prior to this moment, the church had banned congregational singing in their services. So strong was his belief, Martin Luther published his own hymnal, which featured only eight hymns. Four of these hymns were his own, including A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I will read just two stanzas here to demonstrate, and then we will move on to the rest of the story. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. So what's the rest of the story? During times when the fight for Reformation was particularly difficult, Luther would invite his friends to sing Psalm 46 with him. Later, he wrote his own version of the psalm we know as a mighty fortress. This hymn also captured the spirit of the Protestant Reformation, that when the Protestant emigrants were forced into exile or martyrs went to their death, they chose, they often chose, a mighty fortress to sing on their way. Of course, the first singers of the hymn didn't sing these exact words. They sung Martin Luther's German version, which started out, Ein Festeberg ist unser Gott. And if you look it up in your hymnal, you'll notice that the tune is fittingly named Ein Festeberg, the first phrase in its original hymn. The tune is also composed by Martin Luther, who was an amateur yet very passionate musician. 
When he was a student, Luther earned money to pay for his schooling by playing the lute and singing in the streets of Eisenach. Now, Luther's hymns, about 37 of them total, had a very specific quality to them that has often been lost in translation. The texts were simple, yes, but he also used rough phrasing and very striking metaphors that have been difficult to translate. His personality and strong convictions definitely came through in his hymn writing. Ein Festerberg has been translated into English over 70 times. The first English translation by none other than the Bible translator, Miles Coverdale. But the translation we sing today, we owe to Henry Hedge in 1853. And friends, we should never overlook the part that translators have played in preserving our hymnody. Many of our favorite hymns were written in another language first, and it's the translation that we are so blessed with. Hedge's translation has stood the test of time, and to demonstrate why, let's compare it with another translation that is still in some hymnals today, but isn't quite as popular, powerful, or metaphorical. This one was written in 1831 by Scottish Calvinist Thomas Carlyle. A safe stronghold, our God is still a trusty shield and weapon. He'll keep us clear from all the ill that have us now are taken. The ancient prince of hell hath risen with purpose fell. Strong mail of craft and power he weareth in this hour. On earth is not his fellow. In this version, notice that there's no flood of mortal ills, and there's not really a picture of our ancient foe armed with hate and seeking our own personal destruction. So thanks to Henry Ledge, or Henry Hedge, Luther's original imagery has stood the test of time. And now you know the rest of the story. I'm so glad you've listened in today, and before I go, I want to invite you to subscribe to the Hymn of the Month newsletter. It's easy to do and free. Just go to hymnsillustrated.com and the sign up form is right there on the homepage. Thanks for listening to Hymns Illustrated. If you were blessed by what you heard today, you can say thank you by leaving a review on iTunes, sharing the show with a friend, or by shopping at christianbook.com using the affiliate link in the show notes. All of these gestures keep Hymns Illustrated going and growing. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep your hymnal open. Thank you.